This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by you. Find out how you can support this show at patreon.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 222, Schisms. Welcome to another pulse-pounding episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. This week, schisms. Sorry, just had to get that out. <laughs> schisms, the one where Riker gets abducted by aliens. Okay, maybe Riker gets studied by a fellow spacefaring culture. We'll have to talk that over. Well, you really are too kind, and, and thank you. And here it is now. Trivia for Schisms. This episode was written by Brannon Braga, yep, and kind of a perfect fit for him. You remember we talked about Brannon, how he liked to inject a little horror into his writing way back when we discussed Identity Crisis and again with Imaginary Friend. Now, the original story pitch is credited to Jean-Louise Matthias and Ron Wilkerson. Jean-Louise and Ron were first produced together on Next Gen with their story, Imaginary Friend. Today's episode was directed by Robert Weimer. Now, we first saw Robert's work way back in Who Watches the Watchers and most recently in Violations. So today's episode opens in the Amargosa Diaspora. Now, Amargosa literally translates from Spanish to mean bitter, and in the U.S. you can find the Amargosa River and the Amargosa Desert very close to Death Valley. Diaspora can generally refer to people who have migrated away from their homeland, though it's usually specified about Jewish people living outside of Israel. In Greek, it would mean scattered. So yeah, Amargosa Diaspora should give us the impression that this is far off the beaten path and not too pleasant. How about that poem, Ode to Spot? Yeah, even Brent Spiner thought it was a pretty inspired piece of writing, even if he doesn't still remember it. But for real, it is an exercise in technobabble that fits rhyme and meter and actually says something about a cat. Well done. And uh, the question may arise, how do you make a hot milk toddy? Well, you basically heat up milk with sugar or honey, add whiskey or brandy, and enjoy. Some recipes call for adding malt, and I could totally get down with that. And uh, worth pointing out here that the holodeck looks a little bit different. Kind of cool that we get an overhead shot at first. This is a practical set, not just a computer-generated grid on a blue screen for once. That's mostly what we've seen before, but here we actually have a physical set. It's a little bit smaller, but it's really impressive. Now let's talk about guest stars. We have Ken Thorley back as Mott. Yeah, 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 yeah. Defending your life. We know, we know. And uh, we haven't really mentioned Lene Chapman too much, but uh, here she is as Ensign Rager, and she has a much more central role than before. Uh, we've seen her on a handful of other episodes already, Galaxy's Child, Night Terrors, and Relics. This is her last stint on Next Gen. And in this episode, we have a civilian aboard the Enterprise who is central to the story, Kamener, and she is played by Angelina Fleurdelisi. She is a greatly experienced theater actor, and this is her only appearance on Star Trek. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it, we don't like to talk about that publicly. I understand that Commander Riker has not been able to sleep. But has he also not been able to groom? Disheveled. Thy name is William. Prologue. Just another boring charting mission, this time in a globular cluster. It's so boring. The Commander Riker can't even get a decent night's sleep. He shows up in engineering late, looking worse for wear. Those baby blues may be working, but his hair game is not. Efficiency, energy fields, warp engines, deflector array, blah, blah, blah. Riker is ready to get out of there. Then Data reminds him about his poetry reading. Data is reciting his poetry, and everyone is there. Everyone. Deanna, Worf, Geordi, that guy in the khakis on his way back from Blockbuster, uh, that dark-haired woman sitting next to Picard, and that other woman you don't know. When Data starts rattling off about his cat, Riker can't keep his eyes open, and he drifts as we drift to the opening credits. Act 1. Riker is so testy. He says he hasn't slept in days, and Dr. Crusher suspects he might have a lack of REM sleep. Don't you remember Night Terrors? You were in it. Not much she can do, but she suggests a hot milk toddy to help him get some sleep. Data and Jordy are doing their thing, increasing the tech where it can be teched more, in order to scan the area of space where they are. Dana asks Jordy how he thinks his poetry reading went over with the crew, and Jordy does that same dance everyone does when asked to critique a friend's art. Technically, it was good, but maybe it lacked heart, says the engineer to the android with no emotions. Before they can dig deeper, a huge energy discharge is detected in good old Cargo Bay 4, and they immediately dispatch the slowest walking medical and security team to the area. When they arrive, everything seems to be cool. No explosion, no damage, just three guys working like they've always been. Weird. Could just be a failure in the sensors. Riker entrusts Jordy to work on that while he goes to bed. It's another restless night, even after that hot milk toddy. When Jordy comes by to make sure he's up, Riker swears he just went to bed. Yeah, another sleepless night. Act 2. Time to check in with Mott the Barber. He's a guy who cuts hair for all the young dudes. Worf comes in for a trim, and he's his usual chipper self, very concerned that he'll get one of those haircuts that makes him look like a dweeb. When Mott gets to work and Worf sees the scissors, though, he loses his cool, grabs Mott's arm, and backs away from the barber. Trying to get to the bottom of the bad scanner in Cargo Bay 4, Jordy is running tests, but not really getting anywhere. He's starting to feel the effects of sleeplessness, too, and his visor cuts off for a moment, leaving him dizzy. He heads to sick bay, where Dr. Crusher gives him the lowdown. He's got an infection, and it's from a bacteria she's never seen before. She'll just need to keep him for a while to sterilize the area. When he gets back to the cargo bay, Data thinks Jordy has only been gone for a minute. But no, it's been 90 minutes. Somehow Data's internal chronometer is off, and he doesn't remember where the time went. Something isn't right. Better get more people to look into it. On the bridge, hey, look who's in the big chair. It's Commander Bedhead. He orders a course through the cluster, but it's tricky, and Ensign Rager isn't quite able to do it. Riker steps up to lend a hand, and now that's weird. He can't even focus on the controls. He's having an intensely negative emotional reaction. The lack of sleep is really getting to him. Down in the cargo bay, the mysteries get more mysterious. 
A subspace particle emission is picked up right where they are, but where is it? Aha! A little glowing area over the sensor. Act 3. So here's where it gets even weirder. In the cargo bay, right at the junction where Jordi and Data have been teching so hard, there's a flux of tetrion emissions that are so buried in subspace that they shouldn't be able to exist at all in their normal space. It's not a danger, yet, but they'll keep an eye on it. Riker, worried about his little freakout on the bridge, confides in Deanna. Something about the lights, the controls, something about it really affected him. Deanna tells him that he's not the only one. Other members of the crew have been having strong emotional responses to objects for no good reason. Maybe it's a good idea to get everyone together. You know, a group therapy kind of thing. So it's Riker, Jordy, Worf, you know, uh, one of the other women who is at Data's poetry reading. They've all had weird negative responses to everyday objects, and they don't know why. Riker has a novel suggestion. To make everything that's vague a little more concrete, how about a field trip to the holodeck? The four of them, along with Deanna, start to piece together the objects that had freaked them out. A table, not a wooden table, but an inclined metal table. Add to that a metal restraint with a control panel, a bright light above, then an armature with a sharp pointed double blade at the end. To make it extra creepy, add the sound of clicking in the background. We've now got ourselves a very ominous looking examination table, and everyone in that room except for Deanna was there. Act 4, Back to Sick Bay. Everyone who had the weird experience has high levels of serotonin, like they've been exposed to a sedative. What's weirder, they've all got traces of tetrion as well, just like that spot in the cargo bay. In walks Data to say that he has confirmed that he was not on board the Enterprise for that 90 minutes he was missing. Picard grows more concerned and asks the computer to account for all the crew at the moment. Two are missing. Ensign Rager and Lieutenant Hagler are gone. How they left and where they went, we don't know. But Picard's surmise as a Tetrion might lead them to the answer. Riker's got his own concerns, though. Dr. Crusher informs him that it looks like his arm has been removed and reattached. He definitely doesn't remember that happening. Meanwhile, that weird spot in the cargo bay is getting weirder. It's intensifying and creating some kind of space-time rupture right there in front of them. And it's getting stronger. It's not so much a problem right now, but it will be if kept unchecked. It could actually cause a hull breach. Therefore, Data and Jordy will put a containment field around it for now. Hey, guess what? Hagler is back. You were worried about him, right? Well, be worried. He looks horrible. And Dr. Crusher said his blood is turning into some kind of liquid polymer, which we assume is a very bad replacement for blood. Now, let's catch up with a well-placed conference in the uh, conference room. It's too late to beam out the affected parts of the ship. They know the Tetrions are coming from subspace, but they don't know where. They could shut it off if they knew that at least. A, a graviton pulse from the other side would do the trick. Oh yeah, and people keep disappearing and reappearing on the Enterprise. Maybe tracking where one of those people goes somehow? Riker volunteers. He figures he'll be taken away, so why not use him to carry a homing device? Crusher will also give him a neurostimulant to counteract whatever sedative he's been given. Then, just like we expect, when Riker goes to bed, a portal opens up in his room and drags the commander through to what waits on the other side. Act 5. Say, the holodeck did a pretty good job of approximating what people only vaguely remembered. 
bright light, cold slab metallic restraining table, terrifying blades. It's all there, including the clicking sounds, which appear to be the way the aliens who are wandering around communicate with each other. Riker is conscious, but does a very good job of faking like he's out cold when one of the aliens gets close. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, the rift is getting bigger, so Geordi will have to give more power to the containment field. Fortunately, that homing signal they put on Riker is doing its thing, and Geordi is able to tell where it's coming from. A subspace energy level is 16.2 keV because, of course, it is. With that rift getting more and more unstable, they'll have to start aiming a graviton pulse its way, and what do you know, the rift in the Enterprise starts dropping those tetrion emissions. Way on the other side of who knows where, there's a growing rift that grabs the attention of the aliens who leave their human lab experiments for a moment to give it a look. And in fact, the aliens start to fight back against whatever Geordi and Data are doing. They're trying to keep that rift open. Geordi will have to randomize the process on his end just to buy a little more time, and a couple of large graviton bursts is a good amount of pushback. That little bit of time, though, is good for Riker. He gets up from the exam table to help out Ensign Rager, and just for good measure takes a phaser shot at one of those aliens. Seeing his chance, he jumps through the rift just as Geordi prepares the final graviton blast. In the cargo bay where he lands with Rager, the rift fully closes, but a little glowing ball of something manages to squeeze out of it and darts around the room and then exits through the wall into space. Things are mostly back to normal, and now for a quick debrief. Riker's tricorder was able to pick up some useful information, like the aliens being solanogen-based. That's important to know if you were one of those and trying to hang out in the universe occupied by, say, the Enterprise 1701D. You can't do it, at least not easily. What you can do is create a little pocket of that universe in your own if you want to carry out horrifying experiments. And one day, just maybe, you'll be able to create a little pocket of your own universe in the cargo bay of a starship. Jordy figures his initial modifications on the sensor array was what alerted those aliens as to where they are. Hey, here's an idea. All starships from now on will not do that. In any case, these aliens did terrible things to humans out of curiosity. And that little souvenir they left behind in our universe might be the harbinger of more to come. Or totally not. The end. Poetry. Am I right? Whoa, Ken! Hey! Ken! Hey. What? Ken Ray. Ken Ray, you're back. I've been here the whole time. Yeah. Oh, what? you sound good. You sound good. <laughs> I feel good. Thank you. Good. All right. My universal translator was on the fritz earlier. I think that could be oh, the problem. Okay. Yeah, but we're, gotcha. we're good now. Uh, anyway, where was I? Oh, poetry. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, whew, yeah. the worst. Yeah. yeah. Did my poetry evoke an emotional response? Asked Data, and I wanted Jordy <laughs> to say, does wanting to run screaming from the room count? <laughs> In fairness, it wasn't yeah. as bad as uh, Ode to a Small Lump of Green Putty I Found in My Armpit One Midsummer Morning, which is, of course, a poem oh. by Gruntos the Flatulent. Mm. Uh, it's only slightly better, though, than Pointy Bird by John Lillison, England's greatest <laughs> one-armed poet, uh, which I think we all remember. <laughs> oh, pointy yes, birds. Yes. Oh, pointy, pointy. Anoint my head. Anointy, anointy. <laughs> that's, that's a classic. That is a classic. That is. That's, I, did, yeah. I actually learned more about that poem today than I ever knew before preparing for today's show yeah i think yeah if you were to rank you know when, when somebody says hey come to my thing like come to my uh my band is playing at this bar or <laughs> come to my come to my kids school play or yeah. come to you know my 
lecture about uh, graviton beams. You know, poetry reading. I uh, yeah, See, I I've got no problem with any of the things that you just named. I would actually be fine yeah, with okay. all those because kids are cute, bands are fun. Plus, there's a mm-hmm. bar. Uh, graviton yeah. waves. I might learn something. Sure. Come to my one man show. No, no, I don't. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm busy every night that that's happening. And, yeah, uh, and by and, the way, I'm a robot and I read poetry. Can I just say that at the 1939 World's Fair, it was a robot that smoked a cigar. That was so much cooler. I would much rather go see that robot. Yeah. I, th- I thought he smoked a cigarette, though. Did he? I thought it was a cigar. I thought, because he was a big guy. Maybe it was a cigarette. He yeah. was a big guy, but I, I believe yeah. it was a cigarette. Yeah, I used to have a picture of that. That used to be my Twitter avatar, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> nice. Nice. Back yeah. when I smoked. And, you know, well, I still want to be a robot, but back when I smoked. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Shout out to Aunt Adele. Uh, we've heard about her recipes before, steamed milk, even a cure for the common cold. I'm going to say that she should probably be running Starfleet, at least Starfleet Medical at this point, because she's good. Yeah. Really? You're going to say shout out? Really? You're mm-hmm. not going to say hello, Adele? Oh. oh. All I ask mm-hmm. of someone like you, honor the titles, mm-hmm. dude, seriously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Rumor has it, yeah. by the way, uh, yeah. Aunt Adele oh, has all sorts of sleep aids. <laughs> Um, also Skyfall, because I know you like a Bond song. <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Yes. Ken Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate it. <laughs> um, funny. Uh, Data's line, uh, his line read to Jordy about the missing time. I love that, because they're having this little, uh, not an argument, but, but you know, they're questioning each other about this idea of missing time when they're standing in Cargo Bay 4. Mm-hmm. And Data says to Jordy, you are correct. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I thought that was just such for an unemotional robot, such shock that a human being would be correct and he would not be. Um, also funny that Jordy says that he's been gone for over an hour and a half and the computer records that time that data has been gone for 90 minutes and 17 seconds. Yes. And then later, Jordy says he lost an hour. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Time is yeah. time is more wibbly wobbly in this episode. Probably mm-hmm. not since uh, Time's Arrow or <laughs> what was the other one with time in it? I can't remember. It's the one I like so much and now I can't think of it. Oh, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, so surprise. I, I forgot a title. <sighs> hey, you mentioned it in the recap. I'm curious mm-hmm. why everyone walks in an emergency. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess to protect the carpet. Um, Maybe. Or just like, you know, it's the 24th century. We're cool. Listen, we've been through a world war. We've been through another world war. And I think there was a third world war that we went through as well. Uh, So, yeah, really, there's no need to rush. I'm try sorry. so. Here's what's funny. Try explaining that. Like, if if we still had um, Ralph Offenhouse and LQ Sonny Clemens and uh, the insufferable Claire Kramer still on board, and they're from the 20th century, yeah, and they know there's an emergency going on. You got people just walking casually, and one of them says, "Hey, in our century, we would run to emergencies." And then do you have Deanna with a well placed like? But in our century, we've, you know, we have no more hunger and, and no more poverty. And like, no, but somebody's dying in another room. Yeah. You need to run to the other room. Well, in <laughs> fairness to the trio from the neutral zone, though, uh, they also mm-hmm. run when new food is put out on the buffet. I mean, we, we were not the most enlightened people in the 20th. I, we, we weren't the most I, enlightened people in the 20th century. We're in the 21st I, century now. I, I say it's the 21st century and I can relate. Yeah. yeah no, I can't. I, I will. I will always miss the best stuff at the buffet. Seriously, this is absolutely <laughs> true. I will always miss the best stuff at the buffet because I don't want to be one of those guys. 
mm-hmm. who like rushes the food thing. I'll end up with like the you know the lettuce and the little pieces of ice that are meant to keep the lettuce cool rather than the yeah. crab leg because <laughs> right. I'm, I'm just not I'm not going to fight you. <sighs> Sorry, I apparently I, I apparently have a thing. Uh, no, I get it. I get it. So if you're on the other side of the door uh, in the cargo bay that might have an explosion and they they come waltzing in a little later, you're like, <laughs> guys, I get it. I get it. You don't want to be that guy who rushes exactly. to the buffet. Bear in mind, friends, if something happens to you, you don't want me to be the first one there. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. it's right. going to take me a while. You're, yeah. you're really hoping yeah. for a Ralph Offenhaus at that point. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, behold the power of the Phillips head screws on the con station on the bridge. <laughs> yeah. My thought was it's what, a little the, weird, right? what the actual heck. That was that was honestly my thought, except <laughs> yeah. maybe heck wasn't the word. But I was just like, really? Really? Yeah. Now, w- worth pointing out, not available in standard definition. So <laughs> in, in HD on the Blu-ray, oh and if God. you stream it on Netflix in HD, yes. you've just got like you could. It's so alive. You could reach out with a screwdriver and, and just take what that you, thing apart. I'm sorry. What do you mean it's not available in the standard definition? If you watch the standard definition version of this episode, yeah. it, it is either masked or so blurry you can't tell. So, yeah, if you if you watch that episode in SD, you will not see it. I'm going back to my original question. What the actual heck? I know. Because that seems like a thing you would fix in HD. It does. Yeah. But they didn't. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> kind of funny. I Maybe know. they're saving that for the third, you know, whatever, remastering. Well, right. <laughs> Right. Now right. with fewer screws. Oh, oh. yeah. That's, yeah. That's worth another 50 bucks. So the holodeck in this episode is absolutely brilliant. That is a great idea for reconstructing a vague memory, though also dangerous. And, and I think I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Um, I wonder, though, there is one moment. Like, it's one thing to say, oh, okay, you have a table. Now add a control panel here. And then it kind of guesses what that panel looks like. But we literally go from an inclined wooden table mm-hmm. to a scary-looking examination table. Not something in between. Not like inclined wooden table to inclined metal table. <laughs> then a few steps later, it becomes a scary examination table. Yeah. It, yeah. it probably would have been better. And I know it would mean having to build two props at that point. But it probably uh, I mean, would have been course. better yeah. to have something yeah. that looked kind of like it and then right. have that moment of recognition on Riker's face when he's actually laying on it. Because mm-hmm. the other thing is you got to figure that Riker has never actually seen the table because he's always been laying on it right. and unconscious. Right. So, I mean, if he had some vague idea, that would be okay. Um, yeah, you and I had the same note. The accuracy with which the computer renders the table is is really amazing. Just incredibly <laughs> amazing. Especially the yeah. thing that's like, but you you think you were restrained? Yeah, it was down by my feet. No, wait, in my chest. And, you know, mm-hmm. again, he wouldn't have seen the top of it, but that computer, man. Yeah. I wonder if the computer is in on it. Right. I know, right? Right. Like, oh, you mean recreate this thing that's in a subspace realm that you can never see? <laughs> I can do that. Right, exactly. Right. It's like kind of amazing. <laughs> right, right. Um, I also wondered, wouldn't you think that an unauthorized disappearance of a crew member from the Enterprise, and this actually may support the whole idea that the computer's in on it, wouldn't mm-hmm. you think that would generate some kind of alert for somebody? Oh, yeah, because, well, they're com badges to begin with. Well, there's something. I mean, yeah. And I understand the computer, like... Well, no, I don't actually understand it. So, like, if you leave, like, via transporter, that creates mm-hmm. some kind of log, 
right? Right. And right. and on some subroutine, someplace, you got to think the computer's going, okay, wait a minute, there were 1,153 people, now there are 1,152. Oh, I see somebody beamed off, so that's in the log, so that's good. If the computer's like, oh, there's 1,153 people, and now there's 1,152, how'd that? Yeah. Is there a dead guy now? Has <laughs> <Is> somebody been <laughs> right. abducted? Is there a right. hole in the hull? Should I notify anybody? Uh, I believe I believe that one of our listeners on uh, Twitter recommended push notifications. It's Might an interesting idea. idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm thinking right now. Actually, there's a thing that I could order that I could put on my dog's collar, mm-hmm. so that if he's ever out of range of something, I, I I think my phone would vibrate or something like that. Right. I'm just gonna say, yeah. I'm just gonna say that maybe I have a new idea for an app. Find my crew. <laughs> It'd be great. Yeah, the problem is they have to share their location. They may not want oh, to. Oh, yeah. yeah. What yeah. is Barkley doing in Holodeck 4 again? <laughs> right. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of technology, that is a great piece of sickbay technology. Riker has his arm on like a flatbed scanner mm-hmm. and an inside highly detailed version of his arm shows up in real time on that monitor. So again, like that thing that magically heals scratches, mm-hmm. this is the kind of sci-fi tech that we just take for granted will be there for us in the future. I, I love that. I mean, Star Trek got it right about the communicator. I'm going to say that this shouldn't be far behind. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Although I am confused by the plan for when he goes back to the aliens. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, as as you point out, they cut off his arm and reattached right. it. So now the plan is keep him awake through whatever they're yeah. going to do next. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. an excellent idea. Well, I'm, I'm shocked and amazed that Riker has the inner strength to stay quiet. As he lays on that alien table with them poking around, I I would have cracked one eye open and I would have screamed like a little girl seeing that, seeing the knife blades and the alien. No, I would have not. I would not have lasted. Yeah. Well, he did have that perfect replica of the table on which to practice, though. He did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. He may have have actually done a little desensitization before that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but who knows? Who knows? I mean, they, they cut off the arm and like, oh, tonight you're going to bring him back. We're going to cut out his heart. <laughs> so, you know, right. exactly. Just, uh, Let's yeah. try the head. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's here now. We can start right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He seems more squirmy than usual, though, mm-hmm. doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I have to say that alien design, though, not great. Not, mm. you know, it's I, I feel it's a little unfair if we criticize a design element or something like that, where it's just clearly you're working on a budget, you're working with compressed time to crank out a TV show like this, mm-hmm. and not all of them are going to be amazing looking. Um, but this is one of those where they're, they're masks, basically. Yeah. They, they, so there's no articulation. So and they're trying to keep them in the dark so you don't really notice, but it's not really effective. Yeah, I mean, they were fine. I, I, they didn't offend me. They could have been scarier, but I think probably mm-hmm. it would have been scarier still if they had just been silhouettes the whole time. Sure, and sure. If we had not had the reveal, yeah. actually, of, oh, this is that thing, because then, right. then it can just live in your nightmares, you know, now mm-hmm. that I've seen yeah. it. As you say, it's, it's a non-articulated mask. Oh, okay, well, fine. Whereas if it yeah. had stayed shadowy the whole time, then we each get to make our own image of what this ultimate terror would be, which would be, mm-hmm. you know, int- uh, uh, infinitely more terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So fortunately, uh, Picard announces that all crew members are safe and accounted for. 
And I'm surprised that, you know, Riker saying, gee, too bad about Hagler's body, his blood turning to polymer and killing him, you know. (laughs) Liquid polymer. Liquid liquid polymer. polymer. Yeah. Yeah. That's important because that's my Jefferson Airplane cover band. Oh, that's good. Or my Tangerine Dream cover band. Mm-hmm. Or, or mud honey. I can't, I couldn't okay. decide. I, like, yeah, either the, way, either I way. Even, I even I even thought about spinal tap. Honestly. Yeah. Right. Right. Hey, uh, serious question. Actually, is this the first time that at the end of an episode we've literally cut to a scene in the conference room at the end of the show while the crew talks about what just happened? I appreciate the fact that you're asking this serious question. I'm going to counter yeah. by saying I can't remember the name of the episode from three weeks ago. So, despite the fact that I've been doing a Star Trek podcast for over four years now, you're you're asking the wrong guy. Fun fact. The table in this episode was the least popular picnic table in the Sharper Image Catalog 1991. Also, that may not be a fact. As we get into the part with the uh, with the topics, feels pretty safe to say that this is just a straight up horror alien abduction episode. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and most of my notes are about exactly that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is strange to do an alien abduction episode on Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we we've had members of the crew kidnapped before. Well, we had allegiance. Uh, what is that? Remind me. When Picard gets kidnapped and he's thrown into a room and mm-hmm. the only other person there from Starfleet is the alien who is observing him. Okay, right, but that's not quite an alien abduction. What I was going to say is we've had people kidnapped before. Mm-hmm. Like like the only thing that's as like, the, the only thing I can think of to actually liken this to would either be the cage mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. the the episode of the animated series that I can't remember the name of but they were basically living in a zoo. Oh, uh I have the beholder. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Even for the animated series. I, I got to do this. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. And I hope everybody slow clapped with me for that because that Thank was. You. Thank you. Wow. That was pretty amazing. By the way, it, it, we're, we're four and a half years in. It's just going to get worse from here on out. I, so the, that was the apex. You, you hit peak episode recall <laughs> at that point. Good. It's all downhill from here. It'll be the two of us. That's excellent. I appreciate yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I look forward to the day where I'm like, what was the name of that episode? And you're like, uh, what's it been, like 20 years? I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> we did that one. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, We're starting over next week. <laughs> so um, so it's strange to do an alien abduction episode. I, I was reminded, actually, of the movie Fire in the Sky, which was the theoretically actual account of the tales of, I believe the guy's name was Travis Walton. Uh, D.B. Sweeney was in it, um, Jason Patrick, Henry Thomas. I don't know why I remember as much about that movie as I do, but it was straight up alien abduction. Do you know who wrote the screenplay to that movie? Uh, was it you? It was Tracy Torme. Was it really? It really was. For real. Interesting. But I Tracy Torme did that. not write this episode. Because, no. I mean, they reminded me a lot of each other. Although, uh, Fire in the Sky came out a year later than this episode. Now, of course, mm-hmm. we had Whitley Streeper walking around doing his old communion thing, I think. Yeah. Um, I can't remember if Art Bell was a thing yet or not. I don't <laughs> right. think he was. I think he came a few years later as far as the national consciousness. But this is a very sort of X-Files, Art Bell, Whitley Streeper kind of uh, kind of thing happening here. Yeah. What I actually found curious for Star Trek 
is Riker's assertion at the end that the aliens are more than simply curious. You know, because he's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, mm-hmm. they, 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 they kidnapped me and that guy's dead. And now they got a guy here in this universe. I'd say they're more than curious. And I'm thinking, okay, if I talk to a sea turtle, yeah. you know, that was pulled into a boat, tied with a radio beacon, then tossed back in the water, would he say, you know, that we're just curious? Or would he say like, ah, <laughs> because <laughs> well. here's the thing, we're just curious, we're not trying to, uh, hopefully, anyway, we're not like, oh, let's watch the sea turtle squirm. It's like, oh, we want to see where they go. We want to see how they're doing. So we're mm-hmm. going to give them a moment of discomfort. Mm-hmm. I'll grant you. But then we're just going to let them go about their thing. And then they're going to tell their stories to their friends. And their friends are going to be like, yeah, you're just drunk, dude. There's no such thing as boats. <laughs> <laughs> but still. Um, well, it, it was weird to me that we end this episode with Riker saying, this wasn't just study. And I'm thinking... Well, everything indicates that it actually was just study. It may not have gone well. Sure. And granted, we're humans, and so that's not supposed to happen to us. But, I mean, they kept him unconscious for the whole thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They put his arm back on. Mm -hmm. I mean, mean, this actually – was this not – um, invasive, I will grant you. But, but was this not scientific study by a race of beings that maybe don't even see us as intelligent beings that are, you know, plucking us out of the water, putting a radio tag on us, and then tossing us back in? It, it, it could be, but I mean, here's the thing. A good scientist is also not going to cut the arm off of a turtle and try to put it back on. Well, I mean, as I say, they're a different, they're a different breed. I'll yeah. grant you. Well, they are. They are. I, I was. I was amazed at the end. I mean, that that our last that our last note in this is this ain't no science. Yeah, I I know. I I know. I, and I and, and, and I, I'm sorry. I don't blame Riker. He's been through a lot. He has. He's he's been through hell, and and other of the crew have been through hell worse than him. I mean, yes. Poor poor Hagler. Yes, that could not have been uh, uh, an easy death. I mean, I, I feel like no. I feel like though the aliens found us because of technology. Mm-hmm. They realize that the Enterprise is a technical construct, and that the people on the Enterprise come with technology. So, you know, Riker's got his, his homing device and he's got a tricorder and all this stuff. So, you know, going back to the turtle analogy, it'd be a different thing if a deep sea diver found that turtles had like, um, you know, jetpacks underwater. And we're like, oh, well, wait a minute. These aren't just, you know, amphibians that kind of swim around and lay eggs. They're actually constructing things. They actually are using technology. Therefore, they have a system of communication to do that. I... I I, I do lean toward Riker's assessment in this that mm. um, probably best to be cautious. Oh, I'm not saying it's not good to be cautious. I'm not saying they should just submit. I'm just saying sure, I, don't, sure. I, I don't know that they're evil, even though it feels like they're evil. Yeah. I don't know yeah. that they would think that they were evil, I guess is the way to put it. And, of course, you know, how many evil people actually do think they're evil? The occasional oh, Shakespearean villain, of course, Bond villains, you know, right. villains <laughs> basically do. It just it, it struck me as an interesting. But I mean, what I go back to as well, it's a horror story. It's an alien abduction story. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it, it it's fine. I'm not faulting Star Trek for it. Yeah. It just it just struck me as odd that like this, that this, you know, at the end of it. He was like, oh, no, this is just bad. This is just bad. And I agree. For Riker, it was just bad. 
Um, I couldn't help wondering though if it and, and for Hagler, well, and it's for just Hagler, bad. and yeah. for Rager, and and for, and, for, and for what's her name, you know, with the yeah. hair. Yeah, lots of high hair in this episode, by the way. More high hair than I yeah. am used to seeing. And by the way, speaking of what's her name, Kaminer, Commoner, sure, yeah. Sure. I, I see. Here was a problem with this episode, and and I feel like maybe let's say this was addressed in a draft of uh, maybe a scene that did not get filmed or did not get fleshed out. Um, I thought when I watched this for the first time mm-hmm. that she was one of the aliens in disguise, or mm. she there was something wrong with her. Because she's there for no reason, and we're never introduced to her. She was at the poetry reading. Yeah, she she's there, <laughs> and then she's there again. Right. Um, and, and then she's just part of the story. So it just feels very weird that yeah. we're not... Deanna doesn't even say when they get together in the uh, conference room, like, oh, hey, all you officers who don't mingle with the hoi polloi below decks, um, this is a civilian who's on board the Enterprise, and... You know, she has a name. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It was very weird. I mean, it wasn't weird to me when she was in the poetry reading because there were lots of people in the poetry reading. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm curious who the young woman was who was sitting next to Picard. Boy, so was I. Yeah. Because she's like, she's looking over at him like, boy, this robot, huh? And I'm thinking, that is the captain of your ship. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a weird like sort of decorum thing there or lack of decorum thing there. Yeah. Yeah. So so it wasn't weird to see her in the poetry reading, but you're right. Then once she's sitting at the table going, no, 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 the table is like this. I'm like, hey, hold on. Who are you? Oh, nobody. Okay. <laughs> My bad. And it's part of the... Please continue. Yeah. It's part of the construct of the show, though, that every week when we meet a guest star, that guest star is really integral to the plot. And in this case she's she's a sort of there having the same thing happen to her that the other people have happened to them. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's what felt weird about it. I was waiting for there to be a reveal about her. So that that felt kind of strange. Um but yeah, let, let's talk about alien abduction. I, I want to do a little uh, research on this. And it was interesting to me that what is considered to be the first sort of modern version of uh, of what we think of when we think about alien abduction stories. Betty and Barney Hill uh, claimed to be abducted in 1961. And the really fun thing about that is it happened literally after three weeks in a row of Outer Limits episodes <laughs> that posited aliens with kind of weird-looking giant eyes and the things that they described as, as what they saw of the aliens was exactly what we would have seen on the Outer Limits. Um, and when you go past that, when you go after this 1961 abduction, very often what plays out in the popular culture as alien abduction stories is greatly influenced by what has been happening in the popular culture about aliens. So there's a direct tie to that. Very often when you investigate a little bit further as to what happened in those stories and you try to get evidence, it turns into a lot of special pleading arguments. So particularly with Betty and Barney Hill, they they tried to take people to where they were supposedly abducted, and uh, they would talk about how they could see spaceships, but nobody else could see them. So it was sort of like, no, 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 well, well, we can see them, but you can't see them. So the the story kind of starts to, 
to fall apart at a certain point. But what's interesting to me is in a show like this, or you mentioned the X-Files, because it's science fiction, then there literally have to be aliens. You're not going to do an episode of Star Trek where you say, wow, this is uh, an interesting examination of false memory and and conflation and, you know, uh, influence of, uh, of uh, you know, things on the subconscious. No, you literally have to end the show with aliens and you literally have to show them doing horrible experiments on people because that's the way science fiction works. Well, that's what I was saying was so weird about Star Trek, though, about about doing an alien abduction episode in Star Trek. We don't mm-hmm. have that. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing. There's no what's the line? What's the line from the Corbomite maneuver? There's no such thing as the unknown. It's just oh yeah, only well, things that are temporarily hidden. Yeah, right. And 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 yeah. and this is an episode that is straight up horror. This is mm-hmm. an episode that is straight up X Files. I mean, part of me actually wonders if this is a reaction to the X Files, hmm. in a way, because yeah, yeah. weren't they on around the same time? Yeah. Or am I mistaken about that? Okay. No, no, you're and right. of course, yeah. the X Files was all me. Heck, even the floating out of the room thing. Now, granted, that's something that we've seen in other treatments as well. But the yeah. whole uh, you know floating out of the room thing that um, that that Riker did, or that was done to Riker, is exactly the way uh, Samantha Mulder was kidnapped in, in uh, all of uh, Fox Mulder's memories in the X Files. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a this is a very standard alien abduction episode, which is a very strange thing to see on the. Aliens are our friends show that is Star Trek. <laughs> right. Oh, and by the way, I apologize. X-Files came on actually a year later, but it, it you know. What, 93? 93. Yeah. Oh, okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Wow. Really? Yeah. Right. I so would have put X-Files a little bit earlier than that. Crazy. I know. Yeah, me yeah. too. But it, it was interesting to me that the, the holodeck was the first thing that got me really concerned about false memory. Like, we made light of it in the last couple of segments, but um, we've talked about this on the show before and actually Deanna is doing an excellent job of getting her clients to reveal information without directing them and that is a truly legitimate uh, complaint or concern when you had this sort of I I think the alien abduction hysteria has died down a little bit but you go back 20 years or so and Mm -hmm. when this is a much more commonly reported thing it, it turns out that a lot of these psychologists or or just observers who were supposedly getting information from people who were reporting this phenomenon, they were actually leading their clients. And mm-hmm. even if it was subtle verbal cues to sort of encourage them to reveal more information if they hit something that sounded good. Um, so that that's the difficulty in that kind of research. Deanna is doing a wonderful job, though, about asking them information without actually uh, revealing anything to them. Now, the holodeck is a whole other problem, though, because <laughs> the directions given are very vague. So the computer is having to interpolate a lot of missing information. And that could really mess up what they're going for. Because assume just for a moment that the holodeck is a sort of a dumb computer. It's just a database full of tables you right. know over 5000 if memory serves over 5000 tables you can go through over 5000 tables and see them all and it's only picking out in this case 3 or 4 but then like i said we make that jump to the inclined terrifying looking examination table from what had looked like a conference table uh that's the kind of leading information that could then 
change somebody's perception of their own experience. I want to do two things here. Mm-hmm. First of all, let's. Uh, I want to try to explain away how the computer could maybe do that. Sure. Just for just for fun. Okay, absolutely. If yeah. it's able to keep track of people's biometrics or able to keep track of like you know people's responses, then mm-hmm. it may actually be reading cues from every little thing that it does, right? Mm-hmm. So like it mm-hmm. it you know gives the table and then it does the incline table and it sees a little bit of an elevation there and like heart rate or something like that and so then it says okay yeah oh it's not wood you know and then it tries something else and maybe it's reading cues off the people rather than you know uh, giving people the cues although I think you're probably right it's actually just well I, what I really think it is is how long are we going to spend looking at tables. <laughs> right. No, it, it absolutely the writer, it absolutely right? You know, is. so they jump ahead. It would have been hilarious yeah. if once he got to the alien realm, um, it was like pink and fuzzy. Wow, <laughs> right, this looks nothing right. like the table we saw in the holodeck. Oh, it's still scary. Don't get me wrong, but this is just no, it's, it's most, actually kind of nice. It's a little yeah. it's plush. The most adorable abduction <laughs> exactly. ever. Exactly. What is that? Is this triple? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Yeah. Um, all right. So I had one other question that was raised for me in this episode. Okay. Who wants to be an artist and why? And I'm not saying who wants to be an artist. I'm saying it made me wonder about who wants to be an artist and why. Because hmm. um, data, and we stop with the poetry thing fairly early on. I'm not even sure why we have that. I mean, is that like not filler, filler, just, you know, filler? Hmm. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't come back, I don't believe. Yeah. Um, in any sort of thematic way, it's just sort of like, okay, so this is the prologue. And seriously, I thought something was wrong with my playback on Netflix when we went from the prologue into the opening credits. Right. Because there's, it's just like, I I thought maybe I had dozed off. Yeah, it just, just sort of Riker dissolves had. away. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, should we consider the possibility, by the way, maybe I'll do that next segment. I'll do that next segment. Let's talk right now about the whole artist thing. Mm-hmm. Why does Data want to be an artist? Because that's his concern. He asked Jordy, um, you know, uh, so how was my poetry? And Jordy's evasive. And, and Data is like, no, you got to tell me the truth, dude, because, you know, an artist needs to know the truth uh, to, to perfect his art. Why does Data want to be an artist? Why does Data think, want? Well, because he thinks it's getting him closer to human. And his programming compels him to be more human. Which seems <sighs> like a, a cruel joke. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah. It, it's yeah. an absolutely cruel joke. You know, you know, although yeah. it is kind of great to you know finally have a friend who can be like, no, your poetry sucks. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he's really not going to be offended. Oh, how so? Well, just sort of a general suckiness about everything you write and the way you deliver it. Yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> Did I hurt your feelings? Yeah. No, I have no feelings. <laughs> oh, Jackpot! Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. Can I tell you about this other friend's poetry reading I went to then? Because, oh, man, uh-huh. I spent a week doing that one night. Remember those tubes you could use to connect hamster cages? Making one great big cage? That is Cargo Bay 4. Well, Ken, I'm glad that we were able to speak English to each other the last couple of segments. Made it way easier, so I'll refrain from clicking (laughs) to ask you what you thought of schisms. Why don't we start off, as we always do, with uh, trying to determine if the episode holds up. What do you think? All right, so here's the thing. I know I said repeatedly that this is an alien abduction episode. This is a horror episode. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I have refrained from saying the thing that has bothered me about this episode all the way through, because what I want is for people to be able to enjoy this episode if that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. There's a real mystery in this episode, though. Mm-hmm. Why can't Riker sleep? I know you're thinking it's because he's being kidnapped by the aliens, but there's a problem. I'm sorry, getting your arm cut off and reattached will probably keep you up at night. Nope, nope. No? Okay, here's the okay. thing, though. Jordy says the aliens seem to have found the Enterprise after he modified the array, mm-hmm. which happens in Act 1. Riker's having trouble sleeping before Jordy does his trick with the warp energy in the array. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So what's actually going on? Now, I thought what's actually going on is plot hole. But then when we were just talking last segment, and I said, I want to save that for next segment, mm-hmm. is this whole episode a dream of Rikers? He falls asleep in the prologue. Mm. And we don't even go, like, we don't even go into um, any sort of, you know, explanation or him waking up again or anything like that. He nods off, <laughs> the scene just fades out, and then we start this episode of Star Trek. Hmm. Is this a Riker nightmare episode? Hmm. I like it much better if it is. I wish there'd been some indication that that was the case, but I like it much better than there is. Otherwise, there is a plot hole through which you could drive a semi. Yeah. Yeah. But the open is so weird. The open is so weird. Right. Right. That I kind of I kind of want to say this is not only a an alien abduction horror episode, but it's also a weird dream that Riker's having, in which case I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, I have a problem with the episode. I'm not sure if it holds up, but having that, having just accidentally found that tiny bit of potential mind bleepery, I think it makes me like it a tiny bit more. What about you? Yeah, um, I, I'm glad that you said that because the thing that kind of disturbs me about the way a lot of uh, uh, horror movies or, or horror episodes of TV shows that are written is... Um, is that they they feel like they just have to give you the reveal, right? Mm-hmm. So if it's aliens, then yep, it's definitely aliens. Let, let's talk about Indiana Jones uh, four, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. All right. Oh, let's not. Let's just not. Well, well no, but but but, but here's the thing. Here, one of the many reasons that I hate that movie but love the other three. The other three leave you with a sense of mystery. It's not about the object. It's not about the Shankar stone having a magical ability. It's about the belief of the people around it. To Endy, it's a thing, and it's a thing that belongs to them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when we kind of tease the audience at the beginning of Crystal Skull, oh, hey, look, it's Area 51. There might be aliens here. Oh, no, no, no. Literally, there are aliens here, and literally, this movie will be about aliens the whole time, right? <laughs> it kind of ruins it for me, right? Um, yeah. And maybe that's just sort of the the skeptic in me that I, I'm more interested in sort of the psychology behind it and leaving a sense of mystery than I am about just dumping this sort of easy answer. There is a wonderful horror movie that came out a couple of years ago called The Witch, uh, which takes place in the 17th century about this family living way out in the woods. And they live in this culture because of the the time that it takes place. They live in this culture of strong belief in sort of, you know, the the classic religious demons and angels and and horrors that go along with it, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that happens in that movie can be interpreted one way or another. 
And and I love that it leaves you with this sense of mystery of what actually happened. Did the things that we see, did they literally happen or were they fueled by the beliefs that these characters brought to their situation? It's a much more nuanced take on a horror story. Um, mm-hmm. and that's why I would recommend that movie. It would have been awesome if this episode had that nuanced take on this as well. And maybe you are left with the the sense that this could just be a, a Riker nightmare. And now that you bring it up, because of that, the the opening just sort of dissolving into the opening credits, mm-hmm. maybe we can even believe that a little bit about this episode. But knowing Star Trek, Star Trek, at least at this point, doesn't really do episodes like that. So, right. Yeah. I, at, I, at the same time, Star Trek doesn't normally do the alien abduction episode. And true. they rarely yeah. do just the straight yeah. up horror episode. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah. is, you know, which is what this is from the right. poetry. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, I'm sorry. Not the poetry. But I mean, it's 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 yeah, I'm not saying that's what it is. It's it's literally something that occurred to me while we were recording the last segment. Yeah. Because yeah. but I but like I say, I want it to be that because otherwise. Otherwise, there's just a giant plot hole. Maybe this is just Riker's having trouble sleeping and he's having a weird nightmare when he sleeps. Right. Because otherwise, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's honestly, well, I've got two options then on deciding whether or not the episode holds up. If that's in there, then yes, this episode is awesome. Mm -hmm. If that's not in there, then this is one of those episodes like everybody wanted us to do with all the Harry Mudd episodes, you know, where just, you know, turn off your mind. Yeah. And yeah, then it's kind of a fun romp. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for if you're looking for depth, um, probably not. Unless you're looking for Inception depth, in which case maybe. <laughs> <laughs> right. Depends. Yeah. Well, could be. Could be. D- depends on how you look at the start. Yeah. I didn't actually. Forgive me. I wasn't really clear. So you think this episode does not hold up then? Well, no. I, I think it actually does for what it is. So okay. I, I would have liked it better with that sort of more ambiguous idea of what's going on. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, given what we're given in the episode, I don't think it really stands up to repeated viewing. Um, But I will say this, you know, the episode is about mood and the the lingering possibility of terror. Mm -hmm. So it's not really about great character growth or or grand statements on the human condition, as Star Trek is often want to do. and they achieve the mood that they're going for very nicely. And it pretty much works, even if people on staff were disappointed about the way the aliens turned out. <laughs> so I've heard that's fine. Um, there's also a lot of teching the tech in this episode, but fortunately it's all stuff that can be pretty easily ignored. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's a good thing with Star Trek. Um, I purposely left out a bunch of that in the recap because I was way more interested in the mood and the drama than I was in the made-up science. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Aliens from another dimension are grabbing people. Go. There's your story. You know? (laughs) Right. So as as sort of a one-off and as that experiment in mood and terror, I think it pretty well works. It would have worked better given other conditions but i'm certainly willing to let let this one pass and and say it works because they achieve that thing with mood as far as i mean as you said a moment ago there's no real like you know grandiose message on the human condition mm-hmm. i kind of want to ask you what the messages are but i i even actually want to ask are there any uh sleep with one eye open oh nice gripping your pillow tight mm-hmm. That's that's the recommendation, <laughs> I think. Yes. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Hey, uh, I was all clicky clacky earlier, so I forgot to do the uh, do the contact information. If people want to get oh, in touch yeah. with us, tell us if they think that you know Skills is but a dream. <laughs> Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. And hey, you can support Mission Log directly by joining Patreon, patreon.com slash mission log. For members, we have cool exclusive gifts to thank you and a special shout out to all of those who have joined so far at patreon.com slash mission log. You can find more exciting Star Trek podcasts at Trek FM. That's Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, True Q. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. I am not sure what John Thotkin was saying in Segment 1, but he was not. Seriously. This show could lose the family-friendly rating. And transmission.